Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people who teach it. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Stoltz, and in this episode, I'll sit down with Brenda Parker, a character interpreter here at George Washington's Mount Vernon. A brief bit of housekeeping before we begin. Uh, if you do not already uh, subscribe to the show, uh, we'd appreciate it if you did so on your uh, podcast listening platform of choice. And also, uh, if you'd like to stay in touch with us, uh, you can be sure to follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at GW Books and on Facebook at the Washington Library. Also, we'd like to let you know uh, there is an exhibit going on right now uh, at Mount Vernon. History has its eyes on you, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, uh, and that is running until October 1st and is included with the price of admission. So if you're in town uh, or in the D.C. area from now until October 1st, we'd, we'd love to see you and take, come take a look at the new exhibit. Uh, and without further ado, here's my interview with Brenda Parker. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm really excited. Great. Um, so, you know, I think for a lot of our listeners, they're, they've been uh, used to hearing from, uh, you know, a lot of college professors or, or a lot of history grad students uh, that are doing uh, more, and I, and I, I'm not the one using this word. This is the word other people use in more <laughs> traditional forms of, of, of history. Yes. You know, education. And, you know, mm-hmm. yet they, they produce a book, and that book is hopefully read. Uh, and, and, you know, then they correspond with other people that are writing books. <laughs> and, and what we wanted to do, right, because that's actually not – but the weird thing, right, is that it's not actually the thing that Mount Vernon does. And no. we might be the Washington Library, but we're still the Fred W. Smith National Library for the Study of George Washington at, at Mount, Mount Vernon. Vernon. And so we wanted to start uh, as much as possible to um, start to talk about other ways of talking about early American history mm-hmm. um, and different ways to interpret it. Uh, and you are, of course, one of our character interpreters. Yes. Which I think is, uh, I think the public finds fascinating on some <laughs> level. Uh, and so we're trying to get inside your mind. And um, so how did, you, how did you get into character interpretation? Oh, goodness. Oddly enough, I do have a background in acting um, and performing. I actually started off as a children's theater um, performer um, for the most part, um, doing lots and lots and lots of musicals. So in children's theater, um, it's not all about entertaining the children, Mm -hmm. but it's also about... um, Educating them a lot of times, um, trying to get a point across or teach them a lesson, um, so to speak. And I did that for, oh, goodness, like about 20 or so years off and on in between doing commercial work and voiceover work um, for radios and stuff, Um, film work, extra film work and stuff. And um, kind of came to a lull in my career. Uh, after making that, you know, my career for such a long period of time. And we relocated up here. My husband was in the military, and we relocated up here to the area back in 2004. And... I was thinking, oh, okay, because I'm closer to the action, it's up the D.C., New York area, that I'd be able to, you know, just fall back in to my career performing and everything, and it was not the case. It just did not manifest in any way, shape, or form, so I had to rely on, um, you know, the basics of the starving artist um, world, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started waiting tables um, again and everything, and I... Um, 
discovered Mount Vernon, which I honestly did not know existed where it exists here. It, it, it's like it's in its own little bubble, its own little world here at Mount Vernon. Do you I hear was, that marketing department? Yes, it's its own little bubble, <laughs> our own new world. Um, but uh, <laughs> we were here and um, come to realize that I was like four miles around the corner um, from this place and everything and came here to work in, um, in, in, in fall of 2004. And I worked down in the restaurant, keeping my head down, doing what I needed to do and make sure that my children made it through high school and graduated from high school and, you know, and through college and everything. And I came to um, find out about the interpretive, um, uh, historical interpreters mm-hmm. that you have up here. And before I was interested in doing it um, up here, I was called down to the, you know, the other place, um, Colonial Williamsburg. Um, <laughs> we can say their name. It's, it's, okay. it's Marichello. We, we like to rag on in this program. <laughs> All righty. Yeah, it's a Colonial Williamsburg um, Foundation, and they were doing a wonderful project down there called Electronic Field Trips. Mm-hmm. So not everybody can get to yeah. the site, you know, it, not everybody can come here to Mount Vernon, and I'm so grateful for the over one million people that do get an opportunity to come here and to see people like me. Um, but um, I did that program with them down there, and what they did was they just sent me packets of information, documentary sources, um, different photocopied books and clippings and articles, and they said, this is the character you're going to portray, you're going to be a contraband slave, you know, you're trying to leave away from Williamsburg, you know, the place where you are on the plantation and everything, and make your way down to Fort Monroe or make your way to this contraband camp, and go. Um, and so they gave me like two months um, uh, time to prepare for it and everything. And the filming wasn't until like February of the next year coming forward. But in reading and doing all of that research, I came to realize that I, that I was kind of good and interested in historical research. Um I was not exposed, as most Americans I'm finding out, my age group, to all of the nuances or um, anything other than a general uh, statement that slavery occurred here. And let's move on to the next mm-hmm. chapter. Um, in my history, you know, uh, studies, you know, coming up through grade school, middle school, high school, um, I just was not aware that all these things had turned on transpired in our early American history. And so I was reading all of these things and I came across <clears throat> General Washington's name and a couple of, you know, different documents and things that were put into position and such. And I was like, this is really interesting. And so I just used it as an actor would and I used it towards, you know, to pro- promote mm-hmm. and support my character's choices and why she did what she did and her opinions on the world at large and stuff like that. Put it out of my mind, came back to work here, and it wasn't until I think it was um, four, maybe five years ago, five years ago now, it's what? 2013, 12, um, to where there was an opening here on in the department, um, character interpretation, and they needed somebody to come in and do the candlelight tours. Mm-hmm. We do wonderful candlelight tours, people, <laughs> in the evenings. That's why they're called candlelight tours. Um, in December. We, we tried doing candlelight tours at noon. And just, we yes, could never sell and them. it's, yeah. you know, you can't, because you can't see the candles, <laughs> and, you know, people, you know, they lose their way all the time. You know, it's a real problem that we're having. Um, But uh, they needed somebody to come up and portray, I think it was um, Caroline, the first time that I did it. 
And I got the script, and this is the only time that, you know, we go by scripted material. Um, everything that we learn up here is is basically you learn the knowledge, you learn the information, and you develop it into the storyline that's already mm-hmm. set out for you Um documentary sources of things that might have occurred to your particular character or what might have been happening during that person's lifetime. And um, I learned the script and I performed the script and it did it over and over and over a thousand times um, throughout that night. At least it felt like a thousand times um, for three weeks time. And I was like, oh, okay, this is good. You know, it's great. Let me go back to the restaurant. At the end of the performance season, um, Tom Plott, he comes to me and he says, don't you want a job up here? And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm going to keep my head down and continue to work at the restaurant. You know, it's like, keep my head down. I hustle. I can make enough money. You know, it's like I still got, you know, two more children at the time. I think I had two more children in high school. And I was like, I need to, you know, finish working their way up through high school and get them into college, get them settled and everything, you know, and then I'll reevaluate. The next year, he came to me again, (laughs) Christmas time. And he's like, this time we want you to be Molly and you're going to be here. And I was like, okay. So I took the script, learned the script, delivered again. Again, he offered me a position and I was like, nope, I'm good. (laughs) Still got to finish working the kids way through college. You know, I was like, I'll reevaluate the next time. The third year when he came to me, um, the two children that were in college were already graduated from college and the baby boy was going into college, but it was receiving scholarship Mm -hmm. money. Um, and I didn't necessarily need to work his way through college um, like I did for the other ones. So when he offered me the position, I said, you know what? What the hey? So I decided to go ahead and come up here. So um, that's kind of what got me here. Mm-hmm. So I've been with the Mount Vernon Ladies Association. It'll be 14 years wow. in September. Nice. 14 years. And the time has honestly flown by. And there have been a lot of things um, that have a lot of changes and upgrades that have happened on the estate that I was absolutely not aware of whatsoever. I was here when they broke ground and they built the the new um, pavilion and the food court. I was here when they broke ground and they built the library. Um, I was always that person that was running around with the hors d'oeuvres and the snacks and the drinks for all of the donors and everybody that came in and that you know gave all of the money and everything and always used to being here on the restaurant here on the property in that particular capacity and it's a little odd and surreal Mm -hmm. you know now to have people coming to see me as opposed to me you know waiting for the people to come (laughs) so I can like serve them and take care of them Mm -hmm. so I still try to wrap my brain around that (laughs) for the most part forgive me if I'm talking really fast people No, you're fine. All righty. That was a really long answer, wasn't it? That's fine. No, this is, this is just a conversation. All righty. Uh, it's right there in the, in the title of the show, right? Um, I mean, I, I, how do I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I was like a classically trained historian, and we have to know lots about things. But I Everything. can't even imagine. Everything. Because uh, I mean, right, you, you, you're not just – researching a biography to write it, you're you're mm-hmm. researching this person and I mean I mean I'm, I'm I'm assuming this is where like the acting training comes in. Yeah. You know, I mean, how do you go about preparing and getting into this role? I mean, not just even the research, but just how do you bring across the emotional part? Because I mean you're you're fantastic yeah. at it. I mean I, I oh, wish all of our you. uh I wish all of our listeners I, I hope they all get the chance to come see you actually <laughs> 
interpret because it's it's so captivating. How do you bring that aspect in? Oh, I think there's a little bit of truth in every one of the stories that I, I narrate. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone that I'm talking about, whether it's um, Caroline Branham, she's, you know, a housemaid, a, a chambermaid, and she's a skilled sewer. And I talk about her relationship with um, Peter Hardiman, that's her beloved, and um, and how he came to this property as a result of a horse being bought and brought here, how he just came here to this property. The two of them, you know, they have this union um, mm-hmm. together, and they have children together. Well, you know, unlike the character, no, she's not a character. She's a person. The person of Caroline Branham, because um, I actually know um, her descendants, and they've kind of adopted me into the family. So she's kind of like a great, great, great to me. Um, unlike her, I've never lost a child mm-hmm. um, early on or in childbirth or anything like that. But like her, I'm a mother mm-hmm. to children. So I try to equate any emotion or any feeling with immediately how would I feel if that was my child? You know, would I want her to work in, you know, in the household, you know, in an environment where there's thousands of people coming in all days, you know, every different day of the week and different weeks and, and different ins and different outs? Or would I prefer her to be someplace apart from me, even though I don't want her to be apart from me, but set someplace on a farm to where I know the only person that might possibly do her harm might be, you know, a, a hired person that, you know, one hired person that's set over charge of everybody. So I have to make those decisions based on how do I relate to it? And then it's really easy for me to just take that and flip it and convey it back to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I think it's because they're all women. Hmm. <laughs> Go figure. I'm playing women. Um, <laughs> with um, Doll, who I just recently realized was like a, a huge matriarch here um, on, the, on the plantation and everything, her relationship with everything and everyone that's going out into the world and how she never gets a chance to go out into the world. Um, her daughter, Lucy, uh, attempts to run away on, you know, on the savage, you know, with the Lord mm-hmm. Darmore's proclamation. Her, her, her grandson is Christopher Shields, who gets an opportunity to go all the way to Philadelphia and see free people of color, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, her in-laws or, you know, are people like, you know, Nathan, you know, Davy Gray and things like that. So she's living her life, you know, her world through the people that have come through her body. And again, as a mother, I see a lot of what my children are doing in the world. And I go, oh, it must be wonderful to do X, Y, and Z. I never was afforded the opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. And now my children are out doing it. So I'm kind of living my life, you know, through them. Um, Let me see. Uh, Priscilla, um, Scylla, she's uh, a field worker down on um, Dogrun Plantation, how she is being pulled backwards and forwards between General Washington's mother, you know, wanting to have use of her, her skills and everything, and wanting to be here at home with her family and her loved ones, you know. And that's a constant mm-hmm. battle and a struggle all the time where uh, any woman that steps outside of the house to, you know, to join the workforce, there's that constant struggle and that dynamic 
dynamic between do I spend time, you know, under my employer's, you know, overrule and their gaze and their instruction, or do I spend more time, you know, nurturing and caring for these creatures that I brought into this world? Um, So it's easy for me. Um, or easier for me if I just find what's like me mm-hmm. in my life and try to, you know, compare it to what, you know, what do I have in common with this person? So far, I haven't come upon anybody that I don't have any characteristics or any um, mental drive, you know, towards mm-hmm. or that I can compare with. And hopefully that will never be the case. Um, so... It's not difficult when people say, what does it feel like to portray a slave? You know, I'm just like going, okay. In case you don't know, slavery still goes on today. Mm. (laughs) It's just under a different title, a different name, but we're not getting into that discussion. You know, it's like, how is it like to portray any woman Mm. in any century in this world? You know, and then you go, wow, so much has not changed. You know, we're still not getting recognized for, you know, all of our efforts and our accomplishments. There's still inequality in pay. There's still um, uh, all the injustices and the the general neglect and the callousness of our treatment in society, you know, to whereas people seem to think that they have control and rule over our, our personages, our bodies, you know, which hasn't changed from back in the 18th century and before the 18th century, so... Yeah, I think I answered that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was I was really I, I I what I was really struck by there um, was your 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 comment that essentially right you it's still a person right yes. like it's it's it, it's yes you're, th- this, We're this is an enslaved person, person. It's still a person yeah and you know I. So I wonder, you know, do you because th- because obviously there's a big or it's not big. I mean, it's to the it, to the extent that you know a bunch of historians that ever representative of a group, right? <laughs> there, there are big debates. There are debates about um, you know is first person character interpretation um, useful? Is it not? Is is it is it is it um, that does it does it um, does it help? Does it, does take it help? Away? Does it, yeah, you know, and 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 all those debates around it. I mean, so. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guess. I I, I I know where you stand on it, but would you, you know, do do you think that it's, um, or I'll just let you, you know, what do you think about it? Oh, um, I believe that my role, my position here, as a first person historical interpreter, is very very necessary in an informal class situation. Mm-hmm. This is in an informal learning environment. It's not. Um, overly structured. It's loosely structured. And what I do and what other historical interpreters do is we provide different options for people to experience and to learn and to engage and to grow. Um, when they come to a museum setting, mm-hmm. when they come to an environment such as this. So if you're the person that learns by hands-on or by a visual demonstration, then you're going to be able to receive that when you go down to the Pioneer Farm and see the historic trades interpreters because they're going to be showing you, this is how we spin wool mm-hmm. into yarn, into thread. This is how we dye 
you know, the thread. This is how we make the dyes. This is how we plant the seeds. This is how we harvest them. This is how we dry them, um, dry them and things like that. So if you're that kind of a learner, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to get your most information from. If you are an auditory learner or if you're more of um, an emotional, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> feely type of a learner, when you sit down and you have a conversation with Christopher Shields, who's absolutely defiant in his heart over not receiving the exact same liberties that everybody else is afforded in this mm-hmm. lifetime, you know, you you send uh, that that anger or that anxiety or that tension or that, you know, the passion that he just wants. He just wants. He just wants, you know, and you connect with him and you learn from that emotional experience. Um, So we are offering a variety of different ways for people to engage and take away whatever it is that they came here for. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a huge Oh, one of my goals is to make sure that I offer engaging opportunities and interactive opportunities where they want to have them. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that come here and they just want to take a picture. That's perfectly okay. I can smile and I cannot smile because I had one one lady that says, don't smile. You're a slave. Look downtrodden. So <laughs> I had to drop my smile. Was she actually British? Yes, <laughs> she was. Oh. And yeah, and that was like a first for me because I'm accustomed to people always going, smile, smile. And I'm just like going, oh, no, no. <laughs> So, I don't know why, but it just strikes me as a very sort of British response there. It was, it was, it was, and it was so I mean, bizarre. I think the British are just sort of uncomfortable with smiling in general. Well, right? so that, it was, <laughs> I don't know what it was, because most people compliment me on my smile, you mm-hmm. know, and that oh, makes have, me feel. You do, in fact, have a fantastic thank smile. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And that can also make me feel like a really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. because they don't understand and sometimes in the way that they might approach me, it's almost coming off like I'm being expected. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I've had that conversation. I've had those kind of engagements with, you know, my other coworkers present so they can justify and verify exactly <laughs> what I'm saying and how very shocked and uncomfortable we were both feeling like, okay, yeah, we're not breaking character, but um, you're needed in the house, Caroline. Come on with me. And <laughs> away we go. Um yeah, it's it, it's I'm hoping that I'm giving people exactly what they want to receive when they come here. Mm-hmm. Um, the trick is just trying to find out what it is that they're hoping to get out of their visit, because every visit is so different mm-hmm. than the other one before. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it's fair to say, I mean, you you deal with probably, you know, on a daily basis. Um, having probably the most difficult conversations that any staff member at Mount Vernon can mm-hmm. um, be expected to have. Yeah. Uh, what is that like? Mm, that, having those difficult conversations and knowing that my presence here is just to answer and just to have those difficult conversations mm-hmm. can be really emotionally draining. A lot of times it can be so taxing on your your psyche. 
on your inner well-being. Um, I'm learning um, self-care. <laughs> yeah, we all need self-care. Um, there, um, in recent conversations, based on things that have been happening in you know in our world um, here in America, um, with the the separation of families mm-hmm. and such, and I'm. I'm happy that things have kind of resolved themselves or trying to resolve themselves. And um, that was a topic of um, subject of conversation that came up in the greenhouse um, every Mm -hmm. day, twice a day. There's characters inside of the greenhouse and sometimes in the IC as well. And these are loosely structured programs to where it's just like conversation. So it's very conversation driven by the guest. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about their guest experience, what they want to talk about, what they want to receive. Um, And somehow or another, we got on the conversation of of that particular thing. And um, the equation or the balance was, you know, was compared with, well, Washington was trying not to separate families. What do you think of Mm -hmm. a president that da, 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 da. And um, long story short, I ended up crying, which Brenda was crying. Mm -hmm. Not so much Caroline. Um, even though I didn't break character to um, answer the guest's mm-hmm. um, question and everything like that, <clears throat> sometimes it's, you know, it, if there's going to be tears, a lot of times it's Caroline, you know, having that that teeny tiny little moment of connection to where it's like I'm really feeling, you know, what I think she probably felt and thought at that moment. But it was Brenda. And the reason why I know it was me was because even when I left the space and I went back to our office space, I just kept replaying the conversation over and over and over in my head. And it just, you know, made me physically just a little ill um, and to think about it. And it was like my head started hurting a little bit. You know, that's where self-care comes in. <laughs> I was like, what do you need to do today? Do you need to break out the adult coloring book? Do you need a glass of wine or both? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So whatever it is you need to do to take care of yourself so you can continue to come in the next day and have those very, very difficult conversations. Um, What I've been trying to do as of late is to give a definition between um, the difference between a reenactor and a historical Mm -hmm. interpreter. I would like to say at this point in time, I think the best way to define them excuse me, or to explain the differences, would be a reenactor is given a time period and persons in that time period, and they cannot deviate from the accounts or the events in any way, shape, or form. They can add to, you know, to kind of enhance the experience, but the main storyline goes forward as it was already set out. A historical interpreter seems to take on the person's narrative, their biography. We're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Their biography and fill in the blanks with this is things they might have had access to. This is what was going on at the world at that particular time. I'm going to make a choice to say that my character has this kind of appearance or personality or thinks this particular thing and then bring it into a whole inclusive person, you know, you're 
you're telling somebody that actually was here that didn't have a chance to tell their story when they were here, you're telling their story. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I do. And a historical interpreter is to give possible explanations as to some of the actions of the people whose lives they're giving narration for, whereas a reenactor is not doing that. Um, A historical interpreter does not offer excuses, Mm -hmm. but possible explanations as to why these things might have occurred or why these people made these decisions and these choices. So that's where I am right now on the definition, (laughs) loosely, (laughs) to explain to people because they... I hear so often, and we got a reenactor over here. Go ahead and ask her questions about how her day was. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like going, yeah, a (laughs) reenactor wouldn't tell you how their day was. They would just, you know, go with the script as it is. Yeah, we're 100% unscripted, you know. I just... um yeah, I mean that's I, like I, you know it's 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 just it, this is this is one of the reasons why uh, I, I I wanted to to have you be the first person um, we talked to with with uh, sort of changing this because you know I think so many uh, I mean I, I I do it myself right uh, when I wrote my my first book uh, and most of the and mm-hmm. the guests we've had on um, the. They're, they're, they're not writing memoir, right? Or it, they're, 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 it is expected of them mm-hmm. professionally to remain emotionally detached and objective. Yeah. Uh, and we can have all the conversations we want about whether anyone can, any historian can actually do that. Um, but that's still, in theory, the industry standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it, I just can't even imagine um, having to do like you, where you have to internalize all of those emotions and then you project do. them back out. You do. Uh, I just... I, I, I don't know how you you all do that job, and I'm just constantly impressed by the work you all do. Thank you. That uh, is and a especially, hugest you know, compliment. For those of you that, that, I mean, again, have to deal with this sensitive the most topic. difficult, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's, I won't say the majority, but I think I, I, I think there's a fair amount of people that come to Mount Vernon, and like you said, they're here for the pictures of, mm-hmm. you know, the house, and they're, they're here to see historic crafts, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, some of them don't want to or aren't ready to have mm-hmm. some of those difficult conversations. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if there's if there's um, if there was you know one or two things that um, you wish though that we if we if we could make them learn, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are what are the things you think are are you know sort of one or two things you you hope that um, every guest that comes here would would leave with? Oh goodness. That things are not always as they are presented. Mm -hmm. Things are definitely not always as they appear. Um, There's a lot of gray. There's an awful lot of gray um, in in everything that we do, in everything that you do, the knowledge and the things that are presented um, before you. And um, let me see, what would be the other one? That... um, let me see. What do I hope that they would get out of this? That they would stop. <clears throat> Please forgive me. And I know I'm probably going to get a lot of flat for this, um, this comment. Um, that they would stop deifying mm-hmm. George Washington. He's 
um, the title of the book, he's a, a very imperfect God. Mm-hmm. And when you put him on the pedestal as being perfect, as being godlike in his qualities and such, you don't allow for him to have humanity. Mm -hmm. And if you don't allow for him to be flawed and have humanity, then you're not going to be able to understand his choices and the the way that he acted in this world, you know, with the institution of slavery, Mm -hmm. such as it is. You're going to be forever in the denial stage Mm -hmm. before you can even move forward, you know, anywhere in the process um, towards acceptance and understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I know. I know. Up here at the library, you know, um, when we're doing programs with with groups, I mean, that's one of the first things we address is sort of similar to what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Of you know, he wasn't perfect, and that's okay mm-hmm. because if he was perfect, there's nothing you can actually learn from. Right. Him, right. <laughs> I I can't be a perfect being. It spoils so, everything. You know, uh, and and how he. You know, on the one hand, you know, if, you, if we're if we're doing like the leadership programming and stuff, you know, it, it, he had to overcome things because otherwise we can't actually teach his skills, right? He right. he was a 22 year old kid that completely screwed up as a junior army officer, and probably, you know, if it wasn't for the compassionate <laughs> French, yes, I said, yes, it, you know, uh, he would have lost 150 plus soldiers in yeah. his first outing and mm-hmm. never had it, you know. He, but he learned from that, uh, and. You know, I, I don't know how many of our listeners know this, but, uh, you know, after the Revolutionary War, he, he no longer took communion. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is definitely a school of thought amongst us in the library that that was entirely because, you know, he had watched, you know, by the end of the war, you know, that, that army that wins at Yorktown, yeah. 25% of the Same American war. army was African-American. Yep. Um, you know, he has had shared dinner tables for years with guys like Alexander Hamilton, the Marquis de Lafayette, mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence, you know, all these people that have been asking him, okay, but why? And, you know, I, th- I think it, it finally warned him that he couldn't give a good explanation. Yeah. And, you know, but if we, so it's, it's okay to, I mean, it happened because even he was, we're pretty sure even he was struggling with it. He, he most definitely was. Um, one of his quotes and that I use loosely, I don't have it verbatim, verbatim, because Caroline, you, you know, mm. says nothing verbatim. But she says, um, you know, when he's talking about the subject of slavery, and he calls it the subject of unavoidable regret. Mm-hmm. You know, when I get to that portion when I'm talking to people, I know that they're ready to receive that because they've come to understand the harshness, the cruelty of slavery. When I say that General Washington says that slavery was a wicked, cruel, Mm -hmm. and inhumane or unjust institution and that he wished to be rid of it, you know, it's by that point in time in, you know, when I'm leading them about on my, through my eyes tours, you know, I've you know, walk them around the plantation, um, you know, this is my day and this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what happens if I don't do these things, mm-hmm. you know, and by then they're just like, they're so broken down. They're just like going, oh, gosh, this sucks. There's no good in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been trying to find, you know, trying to bargain and say, well, well he was good because blah, 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 right? You know, and, you know, I've broken them down and then I'll say, if you're feeling this way, it's good. Yeah. 
General Washington said this. And then they just like sigh, like, oh, thank God, because I didn't want for, you know, this person that I've been upholding on this pedestal to be anything less than, you know, I didn't want to be in disagreement with this person. And I'm just like, come on, people, it's not a God. It's not a God. (laughs) You know, he's human, just like everybody else. He's made mistakes. And because he's a very flawed, beautiful diamond, you know, he's even more valuable. Yeah. That's what makes him more unique, more costly. You know, it's that imperfect diamond. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm I, not saying, you know, uh, that a flawless diamond is less worthy of, you know, the price that you put on it. To me, it's the imperfections, the tiny flaws mm-hmm. and the imperfections that just make you one of a kind, you know, spectacular. You know, you cannot be duplicated. You can try to be imitated, but you can't be duplicated. Yeah, because we weren't cloning then. Yeah. Were we? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for for joining us and and, and talking with us. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot less painless than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.